Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is the Morning Shift's Friday News Roundup. With a jam-packed agenda for this week's city council meeting, there was bound to be a lot of news coming out of City Hall. 42nd Ward Alderman Brendan Riley says he agrees with Mayor Lightfoot that there shouldn't be any recreational pot dispensaries on the Magnificent Mile or the State Street Business Corridor. There are some people in City Hall who have expressed an interest in banning all vaping products across Chicago. This is a very important day for residents all across the city. It's the first in a series of steps that we'll be taking to give people relief from the burden of fines and fees. With me here in studio to talk about those stories and more, our WBEZ criminal justice reporter, Patrick Smith, Block Club Chicago co-founder and editor-in-chief, Seamus Toomey, and ABC7 political reporter, Craig Wall. Now, Craig, let's start off with ticketing reform. What's changed? What's changed is the city is no longer going to be going after uh, people who have outstanding fines with such a heavy hand as they did before. So they're not going to be looking to take away people's driver's licenses, have it suspended because of outstanding tickets. And what they've done is they've set up a new way for people to get on payment plans because part of the problem was people would rack up these fines and it would just get so high they couldn't afford it. Then in some cases they'd have to come up with a thousand bucks to, you know, get started. Now there's going to be a much easier payment plan so that people can start paying down their debt in a manageable way and don't have to file bankruptcy. And there's also this 15-day grace period uh, for city stickers, Uh, The city's not going to double its fines anymore, which is a big deal. That's where a lot of this debt was coming from. The fines would double and it would just rack up really quickly. Go ahead, Seamus. The part about the not suspending driver's license anymore is, is, is so huge to me. We're talking about tens of thousands of people that, you know, it, it becomes a, a whole spiral where, you, you, you know, you can't pay your fines and you can't go to work and then you lose your car. So it's going to be very interesting as they start to implement this of how people can get those licenses back. Um, we've already started getting calls from folks about what's the process, uh, how do I do it? So um, it'll be interesting as, uh, as uh, the mayor's administration lays that out. Because there's going to be a lot of people in line. The driver's license problem, there was also, we know from reporting from WBEZ and ProPublica that people would file for bankruptcy rather than lose their driver's license because to lose their license meant losing their ability to go to work or take their kids to school or, or all sorts of things. And like you were talking about, Craig, the $1,000, my understanding was in order to get on a payment plan previously, you had to be able to pay $1,000, which kind of sounds like it defeats the purpose of a payment plan if you have to come up with a grand just just to get on one. If you're already hurting for cash, how are you going to come up with $1,000 right away to even get started on something? So it, it does make a lot of sense for the city because you know, the mayor said, look, we don't want to balance the budget on the backs of those who can least afford it. That was a campaign promise, and she's talked about that repeatedly. So this is going to just be an avenue for, for people to actually start paying down some of their debt. Now, critics have said, hey, you know, we're allowing scoff laws to just get away with it. The mayor and city clerk Anna Valencia were saying yesterday, you know, this isn't really about the scoff laws. What we're trying to do is get people to at least start paying something. We think it's going to be revenue neutral. We'll have to see. There's been a figure tossed out there about 15 million bucks that the city is uh, not collecting by doing this. We actually heard from city clerk Anna Valencia. Here she is. There are people behind these numbers, and we need to make sure that they are getting every opportunity to succeed and that we're not causing them to go in deep ends of debt, lose their car, not be able to provide for their family. 
And Patrick, you mentioned uh, the investigations by ProPublica Illinois and WBEZ. And what it found was that low-income and minority communities were most impacted um, by this issue. So how far do you think these reforms will go in in making the city's debt collection system more equitable, especially for low-income and minority communities? It sounds like a step in the right direction. I know that this legislation was based on a task force that was started by uh, Clerk Valencia based on that ProPublica and WBEZ reporting. I know that it doesn't take some really big swings, uh, and actually the task force didn't recommend really big swings like Alderman Lopez, I believe, suggested maybe we wipe out all ticket all debt. debt um, together, yeah. But if, if it's going in the right direction to make, make it so that fewer people are going to be going bankrupt or fewer people are going to really get underwater, uh, we know that that was affecting black and low-income residents disproportionately. So hopefully fixing that problem or at least addressing it is going to uh, you know raise all boats. And I just want to mention really quickly another part of the plan is that it will give people an additional 24 hours to pay ticket debt um, after their cars are booted or get on a, a payment plan before the cars are impounded. That was another issue that came up in that reporting. Now, Craig, you mentioned revenue. Uh, the city has estimated the cost at $15 million in lost revenues next year. And at least some aldermen complained about losing that revenue when the city is facing this 830 $38 million budget gap. Your thoughts? Well, here's the reality. If people aren't going to be able to pay it, and if they're having to file bankruptcy or, or if they just don't have the money to pay it, then that money is not coming in. At least that's the argument. So you know, what the mayor and, and Valencia are saying is that, hey, at least we're going to be collecting something. If we can start bringing in some of this revenue from it's better than none. And uh, so I think that's the idea behind it. We'll have to see how much they actually collect. Because another thing that was raised yesterday as part of this was, you know, what about the scoff laws for the water shutoffs? The mayor said she doesn't want to do the water shutoffs. And so then what incentive do people have to pay it if, you know, the city's not going after? So, you know, there's there's a little bit of complications there that have been raised by some aldermen. Well, Seamus, this ticketing debt reform, it fulfills part of Mayor Lightfoot's campaign promises. She's scheduled to deliver her budget address in a few weeks. That, along with not going after people who have overdue water bills, do we have a sense of how she plans to plug these massive budget holes while keeping her campaign promises? She's got a budget address just around the corner. We really don't. I mean, there's a lot of these things that are that are um, these reforms that are coming through do end up costing the city money. So you know, she's not plugging holes with that with the um, with this ticket program. It, it goes a long way to being more equitable throughout the city. But she's got an eight hundred and thirty-eight million dollar budget hole to plug. So um, you know, to your point about some of the aldermen were pushing back about the ticket reforms. Um, it was Patrick Daly Thompson and for Bridgeport, the alderman there said, "Hey, listen, if we start pulling this out, you're going to be going to more property taxes, and my constituents who are not getting ticketed as much as the folks on the on the west side are um, are going to be bearing the brunt of the property taxes." So you know, that's what obviously everyone's looking at is like how far up does you know. Do the property taxes go? Yeah, although fifteen million dollars is less than two percent of that of that budget deficit. I'm not saying that's nothing. You know, obviously you you add fifteen every million, little bit, right? Every little bit counts, yeah. but it's not a big chunk of that deficit. The the ticketing debt. I mean, we have heard from from Mayor Lightfoot about a hiring freeze. I know that's part of the plan to try to address three thousand positions yeah. that are not. I asked her the other day. I said, "Does this mean they're going to? Yeah, you know, you're going to have to do layoffs?" And she said, "Layoffs are off the table." But we didn't get a chance to follow up to see whether maybe those 3,000 positions aren't going to be filled. But, I mean, when you're talking about this debt, I mean, she has said 
that the last thing she wants to do is raise property taxes. But, you know, it's not clear how much help she's going to get from Springfield, Mm -hmm. certainly on the pension reform that she's talked about. It doesn't look like that's going anywhere. There seems to be some movement on getting the casino tax legislation rewritten so that, you know, that can get going. You know, revenue from the casino itself is going to be a while coming in, but there should be money from the licensing fees that will go out that, that would help. But all of this points to the clear fact that the mayor's got to come up with a huge chunk of money and the the simplest way to come up with a lot of money is through property taxes. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on The Morning Shift. Our panel today includes ABC7's Craig Wall, WBEZ's Patrick Smith, and Blood Club Chicago's Seamus Toomey. Some other stories we're watching, including one that's developing right now. 2,200 nurses at the University of Chicago Medical Center walked off the job this morning. It's the first strike in the hospital's history, and it means the South Side's only level one adult trauma center will not be taking ambulances through the weekend. Stay tuned to WBEZ for the latest on that story. And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio is the seventh Democrat to drop out of the 2020 presidential race. But the field is still historically large, with 19 candidates vying for the nomination. The next debate, which features 11 of those candidates, is scheduled for October 15th. Well, let's uh, turn to Mayor Lightfoot's call for a citywide ban on the sale of flavored e-cigarettes and other vaping products. At least 52 people in Illinois have been hospitalized as a result of vaping. Craig, how are lawmakers responding to this issue? Well, in in a variety of different ways. There's a lot of support for banning the flavored ones because everyone seems to believe that that's targeting young people. The whole idea is to market it flavorable. So the you know if you go back to just selling the stuff that tastes like tobacco, maybe that it's not going to attract so many young people because we see so many more young people being affected by these vaping illnesses, um, which are very frightening when you think about it. The Lake County State's Attorney, we had him on a few weeks ago talking about a lawsuit uh, he was issuing against Juul precisely around that issue. Um, Alderman Raymond Lopez tried to force a vote on a citywide ban of vaping and East cigarettes at Wednesday's city council meeting, but Mayor Lightfoot was not up for it. Let's take a listen. Rules require that any report on an ordinance come from a committee unless there has been a properly noticed motion to discharge and there's no such motion with respect to your ordinance. Accordingly, I'm ruling your motion out of order. I would appeal the decision to the body then because I believe that as we've done so often with resolutions and everything else, for a temporary suspension of our rules, we can proceed. And I would ask the body to have weight this on is that. Not, as you were well aware, this is not the same as a resolution. That's that I've made a ruling that your motion is out of order for the two reasons that I stated. Really quickly, we mentioned Juul just a couple of moments ago. That's Juul, the vaping company, the not, not the grocery store. <laughs> just want to make that or clear. <laughs> or, or the singer. Um, she- yourself. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you did a little bit there, Patrick. Seamus, uh, Mayor Lightfoot called the request by Lopez a, quote, political stunt. Your thoughts? You know, it it did smell a little bit of political theater here. Uh, Alderman Lopez and Mayor Lightfoot are adversaries. Um, This was a chance for him to introduce something that went further than Mayor Lightfoot did and gave him an opportunity to say, I'm tougher on this than you are. As she points out, you're not going through the proper motions of the city council, which, you know, we're only talking about potentially a couple weeks here. So, yeah, I, I think it was an opportunity to each one to sort of outflank the other person on this topic. But we'll see. Clearly, they're they're moving to um, some higher regulation on it, whether it'll be outright ban or or just the you know the cotton candy flavored stuff. We'll and see. Shea, Shea, was the interesting note on this 
this is clearly it seemed the mayor was prepared for this. She was not caught off guard one bit. She had the right response. It's almost as like she was anticipating it. So she shot right back out and shot it down. Kind of reminds me of when Burke tried to pull the shenanigans Mm -hmm. in her first city council meeting. She was, you know, was taking and having none of it. Well, Mayor Lightfoot also introduced an ordinance that would set up zoning restrictions for marijuana dispensaries. Now, Illinois legalized the sale of recreational cannabis starting January 1st. I want to hear a little bit more about what the mayor's proposal entails, because it's it's pretty detailed. Seamus? The big news out of it was that it excludes uh, most of downtown, including uh, the Mag Mile, uh, everything south of the river all the way to, um, I believe, Cermak maybe. Um, but if you look at the map, what's really interesting is they cut it off at LaSalle Street uh, north of the river. So that leaves a huge chunk of river north that would still be eligible, including, uh, as several people pointed out, the Merchandise Mart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to argue that the Merchandise Mart isn't in downtown. Um, you know, it's just across the street from, from the loop proper. So, you know, I worked in the building next to the Merchandise Mart for years, and you can sort of see how that could turn into a, a hub. I mean, the, the, all of the L lines run through it. Um, there, you know, there's a, a million ways to get into it. So I would imagine that there's some brewing plan for, uh, for the Merchandise Mart to have a big role in this. And if I'm remembering the plan correctly, it's um, divided the city into seven, seven zones, seven zones mm-hmm. out that are not including downtown, and then seven licenses for each zone. Is I think that right? 13 licenses for each zone. Oh, okay. Well, um, it's seven that would expand to 14 in May. I think that's how, how the plan is right now, but it starts off definitely at, at seven. The, yeah. the interesting part is that, you know, the mayor saying that she wants to keep the family-friendly atmosphere mm-hmm. of Michigan Avenue and, you know, and, and what we heard, the feedback from Alder was like, hey, this is where we have the most tourists coming in, the most potential to, you know, actually make a lot of money mm-hmm. um, because tourists certainly aren't going to go out to, for example, the west side or the south side to, you know, go to those. They, I mean, they'll go to the ones that are closer into the to the river north ones and whatnot. And, you know, so the idea is to try to send business out to the communities because that's the whole idea behind these dispensaries, right? They want to bring some equity in and they want to allow people, uh, those communities, to experience a little bit of development around there. I suspect that Riley and Hopkins are going to be pushing hard for some downtown, maybe because he talked about Riley did, you know, maybe just a couple downtown that aren't necessarily on State Street or the Mag Mile. But we actually have um, Jason Urkis, who's a spokesperson for the marijuana company Cresco Labs. It would be really unfortunate if the age-old stigma with cannabis prevents those businesses from being downtown uh, where the people are, but I'm confident there'll be a lot of debate in the city council. Seamus, some aldermen say this could be a situation where aldermanic prerogative is needed so aldermen can have the final say over permits. But is that a place where the mayor's likely to budge? It is interesting. It is almost like a classic case of aldermanic prerogative mm-hmm. where, um, you know, where an alderman can step in and say, no, I, I don't want it in this part of town because for whatever reason, my campaign donors told me not to or you know or there's too many businesses there or we could use a boost over this part of town so you know with mayor lightfoot's push to curtail aldermanic prerogative we could be this could be a you know an early battleground to see um, how uh you know how uh, big of a deal it is well, well, these are a lot of licenses i mean they're you're talking about 49 in the next couple months right and, and i mean it, it sort of it 
to your point and your point, Jen, it, it's almost a good example of what some Southside aldermen were saying when Lightfoot was trying to get rid of or is getting rid of aldermanic prerogative, which is we know our communities and we want to protect them from certain things and, and know where things should be. Cynically, you said if, if campaign donors say they don't want it there, ideally it would be if residents say, hey, we don't want it in this section. You know, this is where a lot of kids, I don't know, whatever the reason would be, we don't want it here. Who's going to know? Who who would know better in the city than an alderman? Right, and you, and you just you wonder how much influence they might still be able to have because it's going. The zoning board of appeals is the one that's going to determine where these dispensaries get their licenses. So you, you just wonder if there's going to be a little give and play over that to at least let the alderman have some input without having like the veto power. Right. Well, and it's interesting too because there's the zoning board of appeals is involved in in the plan as it was, as it was rolled out. You know. There's space for lots of community meetings and community input so that there can be some veto power over it. That's a lot of bureaucracy for something that, that the goal is to have happen really quickly. quickly. Yeah. So it's like, wait, we want a lot of bureaucracy to protect people, to protect neighborhoods, but then also we need this ha- to happen in three months. So uh, we'll see how that goes. This is The Morning Shift, and you're listening to the Friday News Roundup when we break down some of the biggest local stories of the week. With me here in studio to talk about those stories and more are WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, ABC7 political reporter Craig Wall, and Block Club Chicago co-founder and editor-in-chief Seamus Toomey. So, Patrick, we were hearing about the possible release of records from the inspector general's investigation into the fatal police shooting of Laquan McDonald. Tell us more about what's happening here. Yeah, so after the release of the video of the Laquan McDonald shooting, Inspector General Joe Ferguson investigated basically because there was no confidence in in IPRA at the time. And he put out a summary report that recommended firing 11 officers. And during her campaign, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, then candidate Lori Lightfoot, said that report and all of the evidence that goes along with it should be released to the public. Ferguson has said that there's a lot the public doesn't know because this isn't public, hasn't been released to the public. Now, after some court fighting and a new ordinance, the city is going to release, we're expecting it to come today actually, is going to release Ferguson's report, but none of the underlying evidence. There are thousands of documents. Ferguson says that all of that should be released. Candidate Lightfoot believed that all of it should be released, but right now, Mayor Lightfoot, her administration is only going to be releasing the report. She says that's legally, I believe her argument is that that's legally all they can do. But we're expecting the report itself to come down today. We'll see if there's new stuff in there. Um, The Tribune uh, got its hands on the report um, years ago and has reported out what's in that sort of Ferguson summary report. We'll see if there's more things to uncover. We'll see if we can, we're going to keep fighting to try to get the underlying evidence. Well, Seamus, I wonder uh, about the optics around this because... Mayor Lightfoot has talked a lot about transparency, and Mm -hmm. and this is a case where transparency has been an issue, as members of the press getting our hands on records has been incredibly difficult. But now, just the summary reports are coming out, which could leave more questions, maybe even create more questions about what actually happened in this case. Yeah, I think this is a classic example of the difference between campaigning and governing. Mm. Um, You know, uh, on the campaign trail, uh, release everything, you know, full spotlight on everything. Sounds good uh, when you're actually the mayor and you've got different constituencies, including your law department, your corporation council, who ultimately has the say in what's going to get released here. They've got a different set of uh, restrictions that they want to follow. You've got concerns from uh, the police department, from the FOP. I mean, you've got a lot of different uh, groups to to please and to stay, you know, within what they believe is the, the right side of the law of what they 
can release and what they can't. But yeah, it's starkly different from what Lori Lightfoot said on the campaign trail. Right. I mean, on the campaign trail, she was unequivocal. All of it should come out, the underlying evidence included. And I think one one thing that's important, the reason this is coming out is because a new ordinance that, that came through this week that says the inspector general can release documents, reports from investigations in which he recommended discipline. That in the in this particular case means if he investigated higher ups, including Superintendent Eddie Johnson, who we know saw the video of the Laquan McDonald shooting shortly after it happened, if he investigated his role but didn't we know he didn't recommend discipline, we'll never see a report on that, at least the way the ordinance is written now. And just to remind us, the inspector general recommended the firing of eleven officers. Eleven officers. Now we had um resignations. We just recently had four officers fired by the police board. That was back in July based on those recommendations. Took a long time to get to that. There were resignations in between, but yeah, initially 11 officers. Well, the Fraternal Order of Police has vowed to take action against the release of these documents, and they are calling it, quote, a political witch hunt of our members. And Craig, I just wonder about where this Put this into some larger context for us, because we're, we're also in the midst of this uh, reform of CPD. You have, on one hand, a push for the release of these documents. You have FLP pushing back very hard against that. You have the mayor squarely in the middle. Yeah, and, and you've got the consent decree that they're now working under to you know, try to reform the police. I mean, this is going to be a clash. I mean, I don't know if the FOP has standing to try to go to court to block the release of these, but, you know, we'll have to see as things play out today whether the the release happens. Um, There's always going to be those conflicting interests in how much to release and and what's fair to everybody. Does the public have the right to know everything? Um, You know, sometimes we in the media, you know, tell us we want to know everything, but there are legal restrictions and there are protections that need to be there. So clearly this is the most high profile case, but we're going to also, I think, see down the road other cases. And that's going to be the interesting thing as as how this transparency really plays out. Are we really going to get the inside look at stuff? And Patrick, we shouldn't forget that we also have a contract. That has to be negotiated for CPD. Yes, although I will say, well, I think Mayor Lori, I don't want to speak for her. I'd imagine Mayor Lori Lightfoot wants to keep a good relationship with police officers. I'm not so sure. She has not demonstrated that she cares a great deal about keeping a good relationship with the leadership of the Fraternal Order of Police. At the very least, that's already a tense, sort of frosty relationship. Due to the open mic comment she yes, made. That's, yep, yes, yes, yes. Exactly. exactly. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on The Morning Shift. With me here, breaking down the week's biggest news, are Craig Wall from ABC7, Seamus Toomey from Block Club Chicago, and WBEZ's own Patrick Smith. Some other stories we're watching today. The head of the Illinois Tollway says he's interested in working with lawmakers to protect sensitive customer information. That's in response to a new WBEZ investigation that found the tollway turns over data from drivers' iPasses for criminal investigations, but also for divorce and other civil cases where no one has been accused of a crime. And today, millions of young people are protesting around the world to draw attention to the dangers of climate change. Here in Chicago, climate activists will rally in Grant Park from 11 to 1 p.m. and march to Federal Plaza in the Loop. Today's worldwide actions are expected to be the biggest environmental protest in history. And coming up in about 10 minutes on the show, we'll speak with some young people from our area who are leading the movement. So the Chicago Teachers Union is one step closer to a strike that could happen as early as October 8th, but they could hold off to coincide with a possible walkout by SEIU Local 73, which represents security guards, bus aides, and custodians. 
Craig, could that force the school district to settle with these unions? It's, you know, Lightfoot's first big challenge with the union, the CTU, uh, is, is very powerful, as, perhaps as powerful as any union in the city. And they're going to want to, you know, step up and show Lightfoot they're not going to be pushed around like they felt they got pushed around a little bit by Rom. Uh, and yet at the same time, Lightfoot is, has this balancing act with this budget hole. You know, she's offered them, was it 15 percent over the five years? over three years. And the, three years. the district wants a, a $16, a 16 percent raise over five. And they want more help in the classroom, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's where do you walk this fine line between balancing the taxpayers and, and how much you're able to spend? Because she said, look. I can't afford to do, in essence, everything that the teachers' union is looking for. So it would not surprise me if the teachers' union does go out on strike, even for you know a short period of time, just to you know show the city, show the mayor. It's like, yeah, we mean business. Seamus, what's at stake here for Mayor Lightfoot? Well, obviously, you know, everything that she wants to do citywide could be just short-circuited if the teachers go out on strike. I mean, that's everything. All eyes will be on that, um, you know, as all the kids are out of school, as parents are scrambling. But the budgetary concerns uh, are not going away. And just her ability to show that she um, can hammer out a, a deal that can keep the city moving, I think that's that that's huge. Well, I want to stay with you, Seamus. On Wednesday, City Council passed a measure aimed at blocking real estate developers from repeatedly pressuring homeowners into selling their homes. I- explain exactly what this ordinance does. This is an interesting one. It, this is it really relates to um, gentrifying neighborhoods, uh, particularly in, in Pilsen. Um, but it, it's obviously uh, affects the entire city. But it came from Byron Ticho Lopez, the alderman in Pilsen, who said his constituents are just constantly getting hounded by developers looking to move in and build new things, jack up uh, rents, and displace people. Um, and so these residents are saying, leave us alone. We said no to you once, yet now we're getting knocks on our door, we're getting emails, we're getting letters. So this... Uh, new ordinance that it just cleared on Wednesday basically says once a homeowner uh, turns down a, a, a developer's uh, request to purchase the property, they cannot reach out to that person for six months or face significant fines up to $10,000. So it's almost like a do not call list for, for mm-hmm. developers on uh, property owners. And Craig, what does this measure mean for the city's vulnerable populations? The problem, you know, what, what gentrification does, as we all know, is, is basically it forces out those who can't afford to live in an area that's become more desirable by people who can't afford to, to move in there. And, so, and when you think about, for instance, elders in, in these communities who may be a little more vulnerable to coercion, that that's on the table, too. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if they look at being able to take a nice buyout and, you know, then move out, you know, where they go is, is a completely different matter. But it, it does bring, I think, in some protections for those people to prevent some, you know, of the harassment. Look, if if they're going to want to sell at some point, they they may go ahead and do it. But um, it, it probably puts just a little buffer in there for people who don't want to be bothered and hounded. I wish we could do the same thing with our phones. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was struck by something in that story, Seamus. The alderman who introduced the ordinance uh, said that after rejecting an offer, constituents were subjected to building inspections. Was one of his examples of harassment. Developers don't do building inspections. The city does building inspections. That sounds like a completely different problem that he might be able to address in a, without an ordinance. It sounds like people pulling in clout, too, right, to call the city and say, hey, look, get this building inspector out there, which there sounds like some corruption there. Yeah. 
Well, really quickly before we wrap up, on Monday, a Cook County judge dismissed a lawsuit from advocates who wanted to stop public subsidies from going to Lincoln Yards. That's that $1.3 billion mega development on the city's north side. Seamus, just a quick rundown on the latest on that. Two activist groups tried to sue to block this. Um, The judge, interestingly, seemed to agree with them that this was not necessarily a qualified TIF, but he said, hey, listen, that vote has been taken. You can't change the rules right after. And more specifically to this lawsuit, these two groups didn't have the legal standing to carry through with it. Um, They needed to prove that they were hurt by this TIF ruling. But it seems like he left some room open there. And we should say the subsidies are $1.3 billion. The development itself is much, much more than that. It seems like he left a little room open saying you're not the right plaintiffs, but there may be a plaintiff who who could file this lawsuit. That's exactly right. So if if we could find a, a group that could come in here and show that this Lincoln Yards TIF is adversely affecting them, then it could uh, potentially clear that standing issue. But they didn't get to the heart of the case at all. This was just like, you guys can't sue us, but somebody else could. The really interesting part is that this got pushed through like days before the new um, assessment value of that area came down. Had it waited a week or so, it wouldn't have qualified as a TIF anymore. And that was what these activist groups were trying to get at that matter to have a judge rule on it. And he seemed very interested in their argument, but they legally were not allowed to be in there arguing it. Well, that will be a story we'll continue to watch. But as we wrap up here, I want to hear what stories you're watching in the coming weeks. Patrick? Well, uh, I'll be certainly watching for the release of the Inspector General uh, documents, which we expect today. Also, as a Detroit Lions fan, I'm excited to watch Mitchell Trubisky on Monday. I'm hoping the Washington football team uh, brings their best defense and, and we can keep that uh, slide back into mediocrity going. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know we could talk about sports here. I'm going to be watching the, the Cubs try not to blow it again this year. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated with the with the teacher situation. It, it's such a, um, a strike can be such a, a huge crippling blow for all parts of the city. So um, we're, we're definitely keeping an eye on that because that's, um, you know, that's less than a month away. Greg, you get the last word here. I just, you know, where is the mayor going to find the revenue? Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how much uh, cooperation and help is she going to get from Springfield and uh, where is she going to come up with the money? And the question may come down to how much is she going to have to raise property taxes, not if. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel, ABC7 political reporter Craig Wall, WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, and Black Club Chicago co-founder and editor-in-chief Seamus Toomey. Everybody, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today's Morning Shift. Look for a new episode to drop into your feed Sunday morning. We'll talk to journalist and author Paul Tuff about his new book, The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes or Breaks Us. Enjoy that conversation along with your Sunday morning coffee. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.